Welcome to my mom's podcast. You're listening to the Early Childhood Journeys podcast, where we chat with educators, community members, and advocates of early childhood alike through candid and real conversations, focusing on the person behind the practice, along with some tips and strategies as well. I'm your host, Marisa. Welcome to season three. And yeah, it's been a while. Thank you to my podcast listeners for being so patient. I ended last season around the same time and after much discussion and some DMs from friends and colleagues, the time was right to get this project up and running again. So I'm in a new space now professionally in my early childhood journey and we're all currently experiencing some uncharted waters during this COVID pandemic. Uh, As a parent and educator, I hope to continue to highlight early education and provide practitioners and parents with some highlights, some insights, some useful tips and strategies. So on to the show. We are starting off this podcast season with not only some hot topics and this topic is timely. Right now, um, many of our families, whoever's listening, you're probably experiencing this whole pandemic, COVID crisis. Um, You probably have, if you're a parent, you probably have some school-agers at home. And if you're a teacher, you're probably trying to finagle through that online virtual learning process. So um, I have the pleasure of having my guest uh, today to hopefully finagle up kind of walk us through some stuff and some suggestions, but really address this topic that I want to, Catherine and I were talking about was a social and emotional piece. So Catherine Norwood, welcome. Um, Catherine is a instructional coach, K-6 instructional coach here in Arizona for the Gilbert Public School District. And we've done a podcast before um, last season, if I remember correctly. And Catherine and I, just some quick background, we've connected through uh, my kindergarten work, doing some consulting, and then just some volunteer stuff with um, the school that she was at before. Right, Catherine? That is correct. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you. I am totally pleased to be here. I, I love you, and I believe in the work that you do. We have a lot of overlapping work, and I very much admire admire you <laughs> thanks Catherine you're, you're such an easy guest obviously Catherine will be back on the podcast I would do anything for you thank you Catherine I mean so let's get into this nitty-gritty social and emotional topic um we were Catherine and I had caught up again and right now um Something that was really interesting, both of us had been dealing with just the timeline of when us here in Arizona, our school districts are winding down, um, you know, like two, three weeks left of school. And I noticed it because now while my own daughter isn't dealing so much with academics because she's a kindergartner, I was noticing just some parents um concerned about the lessons that were being done and not necessarily 
anything that's focused on just kind of dealing with children's anxiety, um, the stress of what's going on right now. Um, so through this conversation, I don't know if you want to chime in, Catherine. Catherine had mentioned some suggestions and what she as an instructional coach um, would would like to see. So first, I want to kind of clarify, like, what are, as far as for the focus for virtual learning, like, what's the state mandate, Catherine? Like, you're, you are in the K-6 right now. I mean, we went on break before spring break, and I've, and we were talking about instructional minutes were probably already met. Like, why is, why do you think there's such a, a focus or on the academic piece? Go ahead. Sorry. Sure. No, no worries. Um, so Arizona legislature and Arizona Department of Education, but ADE is right under the AZ legislature umbrella. So as far as school closures and addressing how long through the end of a district school year. So for some districts, that's May 22nd. For other districts, that might be a week, two weeks later. Who's involved? All public K-12 schools, all, all charter schools, um, all of them have to abide by this particular school closure. What are requirements or mandates? Mm -hmm. So uh, basically, the state legislature and ADE have said, here's our guidance to school districts. For the most part, school districts, based on that guidance, can make their own unique decisions on how they approach remote learning. So in my particular school district, they have said, you know what? We're going to have remote learning. We're not going to have um, the teaching of new concepts and skills that would ordinarily have been approached in the fourth and final quarter of the school year. Instead, we're going to have enrichment activities that uh, K-12 teachers in the district will prepare and provide to parents. And the focus, again, is on uh, enrichment and going deeper with concepts and skills that had been previously instructed in schools. So, like I said, every district uh, follows the guidance that's set forth. And by and large, the average school district in Arizona is not requiring grades to be taken. If they are, they're looking at something that's more like a pass-fail system. And that's more than likely going to be viewed through a middle school or a junior high or a high school experience. Um, yeah. For the most part, you know, there's graduation requirements that basically have been suspended. Right. All of these things is guidance through the state and districts have the option to customize what they think is best as a function of what it looks like for them. What did the length of the school year look like previous to school closures? Things of that nature will come into play. So let me connect then, let's connect then the social and emotional piece because we were having this discussion about what the mandate is for, for schools and um, the focus of enrichment activities. However, 
when I was um, reflecting on this with Catherine at, at, at one point this week with some other folks too, I was mentioning that I, for, for example, my own child, I appreciated the kindergarten teacher having those class meeting times, not necessarily to yes. um, reinforce any, um, you know, content, any lessons, but it was for connection. She right. was excited just to see her teacher. And because it was done through small groups, it was not, there was no focus on, you know, relearning any type of lessons, but it was more about just having a conversation. It was about how are how are you doing, Valentina? Um, you know, what was lovely was that the teacher was actually doing writing letters to their, to her students. So we were practicing writing in an authentic manner. And she would write a letter back to the teacher and the teacher's like, oh, I got your letter. Thank you. Um, and that's really that's what the, that was really what we were talking about was just that social and emotional connection piece and why the the focus on lessons and not in addressing the actual and I guess I don't want to say addressing, but recognizing that these children are going through a traumatic experience right now and the learning is not going to happen um, without the address of the social and emotional piece. So why do we need the social emotional strength? Why is that important? And then Uh, Catherine, if you want to step in with this one, because that, because you as an instructional coach, I was saying like Catherine, you as an instructional coach, because she was, you were making some wonderful points about the why you were stressing this in the lessons. Right, right. So kind of touching upon um, your broader question, which is why social emotional learning? Why yeah. should school districts and schools and individual classrooms have that as a focus? So that's perennially important, right? Because whether, and then there are exceptional times and contexts like now with COVID-19 circumstances and school closures, um, why we especially need to turn up the dial to have social and emotional learning. So when you think about social emotional learning in this respect, during this time of remote learning, virtual learning, as you've mentioned, we have to have those connections because it's interactions that Social interaction is one of the predicates to learning, right? As human beings, the brain is a social brain. When we think about any person, whether it's a child or an adult, in the best of contexts, we need to have human connections. We need to have specific um, instruction and support and day-to-day Uh, activities and routines that build our competencies in really these core areas of social emotional that realm so these five core competencies that we look at and when we're talking about kids having a huge interruption to what is their ordinary world their ordinary environment ergo school as an environment you have to provide some extra support there. You have to bolster what was already in place. And so when you think about the average classroom in Arizona, in the United States, they're very diverse places, 
diversity is many things. And we know that we have kids of all sorts who walk into our classrooms every day. And some schools have, you know, a preponderance of higher uh, student profiles where kids are experiencing adverse childhood experiences. They have certain at-risk factors in their lives. So why do we need social emotional learning? We need it always, and we have to have it in exceptional times such as now, because schools are a huge safety net in not only children's lives, the students' lives, but the entire system of the family. We're safe, we're a huge safety net. So when you remove that day-to-day um, interaction, that interface with that big safety net, you've taken away one layer from that child's life, from that family's life. And that layer is a barrier to at-risks, at-risk factors in their life. And everybody, no matter who we are, no matter what our what our home environment is like, our socioeconomic you know, status, whatever. We all share common threads that are part of the human psyche. And those, as I said, what are those five competencies, right, of social emotional intelligence? Mm-hmm. So we all have that in common. And what research tells us is that it doesn't matter who you are. When you support social emotional development, that it's like, you know, a rising tide, you lift all boats, but you especially lift the, the, the boats of kids who are already at risk. And that's why we were talking about like the community piece, the relationships piece, the connections piece, yes. the focus of that in these last few weeks to help get these kids through summertime because we don't know what we're going to be facing in the fall. I think something else that um, I remember we talked about was, you know, for you as an instructional coach, you're not even a mental, I was like, you're not even a mental health specialist. And you know, you know, um, this is important. Like Catherine isn't going to be able to really, it'll be a more of a challenge for teachers, her pros to do their job come fall. If we are not having this foundational piece in place. Right. Um, with the social and emotional. It's that whole piece of, I've always said it, I just did a blog post um, today. You know, I can get a child to, to understand and learn their numbers and letters and shapes. But if I don't, I can't get them to get along with others. They can't recognize emotions. They can't deal with their emotions. Right. Um, they can't cooperate, get along with others. That's a whole different level now. Um, Agreed. And those are the behaviors. Yes. So that's kind of a separate big rock from what's going on neurologically, right? Like the development of the brain. The the brain is a physical organ. A lot of times we hear people say, use it or lose it when we talk about our brain Mm -hmm. and we refer to it as a big muscle. Yep. People who say that hopefully understand that it's not a muscle. We just use those things in a metaphorical sense, but the brain is an organ and that it physically develops, right? So we, as you were saying, yes, we have these, this grouping of behaviors that we're either going to support and see an increase in, you know, uh, increased focus and attention, whether it's in class or at home, um, 
problem solving, planning, organization, flexible thinking, all of these types of executive functions that play out in behaviors. Do I have good interpersonal skills, intrapersonal skills, um, communication? Well, how do we get to all those behaviors? We get to those behaviors in large part because of our brain. So when we look at um, social emotional support and the development of that domain, and then we kind of, uh, you know, do a, a partnering up of that yeah. with um, some coping like adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Yeah. We know that, and when we say adverse childhood experiences, just for our listeners, that's uh, a, a newer modified term, an adapted term. It's more encompassing and it's also more, um, oh, it's less derogatory than saying what we used to say as traumas. Yes. So sometimes right. we might be more familiar with the term of traumas. So anyways, my point being is that how do those adversities impact brain development? We have to go all the way back to newborns. We can go all the way back to pregnant moms and their experiences and how that impacts development of the brain. But we even know that language centers in the brain can be stunted. The growth, the maturation on a neurological level can be drastically stunted when a baby child experiences a single trauma or chronic trauma. Correct. What? How does that play out? It plays out in behaviors. If it even goes as far as to say that it's not so much that I can't drum up the language to articulate how I'm feeling, but that it becomes extremely difficult on a neurological level to I to even be aware of feeling. what I'm feeling, even now, the most primal feelings. I mean, you sum that up. I I want to go to. The, the admin level. Why do you think there's a disconnect? And I dealt with this in my back, in my past contract work, where all of this research research is telling us about these the way children learn and the authentic and uh, experiences. Um, and with all of this research regarding social and emotional development, why do you think there's a disconnect? I mean, is it just the priority? What do you? What's your opinion about that? As well, far as what the admin is asking for teachers. Sure. So I think when you talk about that disconnect, it's it does exist. And um, from my experiences, I would say that one, one reason is because change is incremental. So it's it might not necessarily be a disconnect per se, because a disconnect implies that there's a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding and understanding, you know, sort of springs forth with agreement, right? In most cases. Yeah. So does that exist? Yes, I do think that context exists, the disconnect. The other part of it is I think that, as I said, change is incremental. That means it's slow. So why is it slow? Because in large part, you have a national education system that is, quite frankly, 
<laughs> a fractured system. We yeah. don't have a standardization to the United States ed system. We have state level. We have local control. Local That's control. historically education, right, in the United States. So that means you've got a lot of players involved, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, to something that's a massive issue, a lot of moving parts. So you also have a funding matter and a funding pipeline, right? So right. it can be that there's a desire, there's an identified need, there's a desire to implement something that does support social emotional learning on a systematic level versus this, you know, uh, randomization of classroom A gets it, classroom X gets right. it. So it can be a funding issue. Are there ways to mitigate both of those contexts? Absolutely. Are there some amazing things happening in individual classrooms, individual schools, and school districts throughout, in the least, Arizona? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I can, I wrote a short list of some specific programs and approaches that. I know for a fact are happening and have been happening. Um, awesome. So I mean, there's great stuff out there taking place. One of, and we're going to talk about just some brief tips and resources as well. And I can take some of those resources that Catherine is going to, um, has referred to and post them on, um, on our website, on my website and on our social media, on my social media handles. Um, I mean, we were talking about one strategy for teachers that they can easily incorporate. I know I had mentioned, you know, there was um, the focus of, I, I was reading uh, an, uh, an article, what a teacher was saying that she was just, she had different um, online meeting dates during the week. I know I had mentioned to Catherine that my own daughter's teacher she has two dates during the week and it's an option for the child to jump on virtually online and to just, you know, connect with her teacher. And I know you, Catherine, were talking about, you know, having separate times each day before the end of the school year so that children can, the students can um, choose the time that's best for them sure. and then doing some small group connection time too, because the kids want to see their teacher and they want to see their, their classmates. Yes. Um, and focusing on that. Go ahead. No, I'm just absolutely agreeing with you. I think it kind of taking us back full circle to what you opened with, and, and that's connections. Um, we know that optimal learning and even just, you know, average learning is not going to take place when kids are struggling on a social emotional level they cannot attend that's a big piece of it mm -hmm. and they're stressed and worried so we have that whole again that physiological response right what does stress do hormonally we have this hormone in our body called cortisol and that kicks in onto overload yep. so we can't think from the frontal lobes we're back in the brain stem when we're under stress so as you're saying, you know, especially these last remaining days, really, um, just I'm seeing a lot of teachers at the schools that I serve and teacher conversations, they really are focused on making those connections. They are, they've been focused on those. Again, my school district and 
teacher friends that I have in other school districts, they have really been promoting to teachers. Number one, your primary role is to make connections with those kids. That's how they started everything with remote learning. And to maintain that by what we already know is best practice, having a routine, but having for that home learning environment, flexibility with that routine. What are the big things that should be involved? Yeah, some learning time, time for movement, time for play, time to get outdoors, you know, in a safe social distancing manner. Um, And for me, what I'd say to parents is, number one, parent or teacher or kiddo, do some mindfulness activities. You don't need a thousand of them. Have a few that work for you. Write them on a list if you need to. And do those. Have them as embedded breaks during your day and have self-awareness. That's one of those social emotional competencies. The more you practice those techniques and as an adult, you say to your child, here's what we're doing and why. This is the name of this mindful activity. It's called standing mountain or butterfly (laughs) breathing. And here's why we're going to do it. And when we feel this way, we can do this. And it's going to help our brain and our whole body feel better. So be explicit, say what you're doing and why, and then do it. Have embedded opportunities where where you're doing it during the day. Adults, model that. Model to your kids. I'm frustrated right now. I feel really anxious right now. What can I do? Show your kiddos that you're human too, because kids learn by observing. That's what modeling is all about. It's the greatest teacher in the world. You know, as we wrap it up here, um, I'm reminded of your parent tip about, you know, someone that is, you're so grounded in language. When you were talking about a parent tip as far as, you know, having the parent go outside with their child and even just listening to the sounds. Can you, can you remind us again, um, say that part again about how it connects to deciphering language? Oh, sure. Um, So when it comes to reading and language, we know that everything is rooted in sounds, right? So I have a lot of parents say to me during this time, how do I support my kid with reading? I don't want them to fall behind. Thank you. Right. So, and usually this comes from the elementary parent where kids really by and large are still working on reading foundations. They're figuring out how to decode printed language. So I say to them, do a listening activity. Can look like any way you want to make it, but go outside sit in your living room, whatever it takes, and listen to the sounds of nature. Put on some music that you enjoy. Listen to the different instruments. Can you identify them? For a few minutes, just take that time. Because what's happening in the brain is you're building those structures that are able to process sounds. So that intersects with the another structure of our brain that processes things visually, not through our eyeballs, but making a mental map or a mental form of a letter or or a whole word. So we have this intersection of these 
the sound processor and this visual processor. But not only does that support things like reading, but you can't read, you can't do much of anything when it comes to learning and academics until you can attend, until you can focus. And a small activity like that, I just had a mom today of a kindergartner and a second grader say, the teacher's telling me that she's concerned because, you know, my kiddo is not able to attend. I said, so do some listening activities, build their ability to focus for a longer and longer time frame. Mm-hmm. You're helping them develop, quite so, frankly, on a neurological yeah. level. Um, I know that uh, we're going to, we're wrapping up here and I wanted to do this podcast. It, it's, it was with the, it's with the intention of not necessarily adding more stuff for those teachers that aren't implementing a social and emotional learning um i guess strategy within their their lessons right now but just to take a step back and make sure that we're incorporating this piece the other part was as a parent you know don't stress out about that academic piece and and if they're going to fall behind right now it's all about that social emotional piece it's about connection relationships how the ch- um, children feel um, to get them through the summer. And as I know that many of the teachers that I've connected with in the fall, the teachers are trained to get your child up to speed. So don't stress out that you're going to be able to duplicate what teachers do at home. Quite frankly, I don't want to do school at home. You do, you do home at home and um, you make that experience for your child as authentic as it can be because we're not going to replicate it and you're going to get stressed out as a parent. So Take a step back and just focus on that connection and relationship piece with your child, um, and hopefully be a hopefully your child's teacher and you can be allies and partners. Absolutely, I think this is a really unique opportunity for everybody between school and home to kind of reassess, take stock, and do a reset mm-hmm. that get us back to what's really valuable. I'm a teacher. I'm never going to say, oh, we don't need schools. We don't need learning. You're never going to hear that from me, right? I don't think the average person would say that. That's ridiculous. But I do agree with you. Parents are children's first and most important teachers across a lifetime. But what we know, I could talk for hours on what we know through research, but in a nutshell, we know that content knowledge, building a body of stuff that you know about and vocabulary and having strong, positive connections in your life with at least one person. That's what gets your kid to college. That's what gets your children to be high functioning, stable adults who don't, who experience stability over their lifetimes, right? And goodness, of fit in all kinds of way, relationships and work and the whole nine yards. So at home, yeah, take it easy on yourselves. Connect with your kids, connect with them when you yourself are feeling okay, because that's going to raise the assurance rate that you're not going to have any strife in that moment. And focus on the how and the why for whatever it is that you're delving into. Not so much the what, not so much the content, Just focus on, hey, how? Well, why did you do that? How did that happen? Those two things. That curiosity. Yeah, exactly. 
yep, it's all, it'll, it'll be good. It really will be. I'm confident about that. Well, thank you so much. Again, my, my guest, Catherine Norwood, um, I will post those resources and links um, on our social media platforms. Thank you for coming on, Catherine. Any last words before we close out? Uh, the only last words I have is everybody take it easy on yourselves, kids and grown ups included, right? <laughs> take it easy on yourselves. So, but thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for having me on your podcast. This is it's awesome. Pleasure. Great way to start the season. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you.